0: Today is a very special day for my family and I as we come back to Bethel. as a poku. By the way, that's his name to me. I don't know what you call him, but to me, he's a poku. Poke, and that's all he's getting. I don't care how big he gets or how old he gets. That's poke. Um, it is beautiful to be back at Bethel, Assembly of God. Uh, I'd like to introdu- have my wife come up and have her greet you and our boys, I'm not going to do it to you, don't worry guys, but our boys are here, Noah, Nathan and Matthew, they were all dedicated on this stage. In 2007, we walked in, just a couple, no kids, uh, to a church where the Lord had called us to be here and uh, as Apoku said, we were here for 10 years. You're here, hon, why don't you, I got to compose myself. Good morning, everyone it is so so good to be here um it's been a while but we are so happy to be here and to see all the familiar faces and also it's so good to see all the new faces this is so good uh, very very excited for what god is doing at bethel um we were driving down and um we're just kind of remembering, telling our kids, asking them, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And it was just a very special time in our lives. And, and we always think of you guys with, with love. And we pray for you guys. And we're very excited to be here and for what God is doing uh, at Bethel. So very um, happy to be here. It is a beautiful day to be back here. We're thankful for Pastor Tom for your invitation. We're so glad to be here. We're we're very thankful for what God is doing. And it's really good to see the new faces. Good to see the renovations, the upgrades. Because the house of the Lord matters. Because the house of the Lord is the only hope for today. The house of the Lord is the only hope for today. And you shine bright. Remember, you are the salt of the earth, the light. That needs to shine bright and we in the body of Christ need to begin to shine bright because the time grows darker. But yet God is rocking the earth screaming Maranatha that there is a shaking coming to this earth because Jesus is coming soon. And as the world is going nuts, the church is getting brighter. And I'm glad that you're in a church that preaches the gospel that saves those that are lost, that stands in the midst of darkness saying we are still the hope. And let me tell you, Bethel Assembly of God has been here since 1911. This is the oldest church in the Assemblies of God in New Jersey. The oldest church that's been standing in the Assemblies of God. Before there was the Assemblies of God, there was Bethel Pentecostal Assembly. Made in 1911. Pastor Ide would be the one to start this thing off. And before you know it, we'd make our way all the way to Pastor Thomas and his wife Vanessa. Standing, still preaching, still declaring, still telling people there's hope in Newark. And there's hope for you and your family. So I'm proud to stand in this church this morning. But... Before we get into the word, can I just brag on the youth? They were my youth, and I look out, now they have babies, and we feel old, they're running ministries, They're but man, we are so blessed, we're so blessed to see them, and for those of you stuck it out, and you've been here, and you're still doing it, God bless you. God bless you for putting your hand to the plow, don't look back, the time is now, and I was like, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, and I just started crying because Apoko had to open his mouth and get sentimental, but today is a good day. Can we just close our eyes and bow our head as we get into the word of the Lord today? You're not here to hear from me. You're here to hear from God. God has a word for you today. You're not here to hear some nice words from a different pastor. Nope, you're here to hear what God has, but here's the thing. Is your heart ready to receive from the word today? See, you remember the scripture in Mark chapter 4, where is the parable of the sower and the seed, and the seed would fall out on all different types of ground. And you would have the good ground and the thorny ground, and the rocky ground and the shallow ground. And you would ask, Well, where can they produce fruit? And everybody would say, The good ground. And I contend, and I say, The ground that's prepared. See, if there's ground that's prepared, it all can produce fruit. If there's rocks in your heart, it's for you to remove so it can produce fruit. If there's thorns in your heart, it's for you to produce. So now is the time to prepare your heart to receive the word. Heavenly Father, today on this day, O oh Lord God, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that your spirit would flow in this place. Lord God, that you would speak to hearts. Lord God, that you would touch minds. That today you would awaken what God has been whispering to them. Lord God, that in this place you, O oh God, would have your way. That dreams and visions would be released. That realities, realities of what you're calling people to do would be made real today. Lord God, may this word stick deep into our hearts and not just be something that we remember for 45 minutes. But Lord God, may be a word that is in season and it yields and produces a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold. And we give you all the glory in your name. Amen. Our church, uh, when we left here, to give you a little background, we were the youth pastors here. I was the youth pastor. My wife was the worship leader here for 10 years. We got here in 2007. We left in 2018. The Lord called us. Our assignment changed. We went to Riverside Assembly in uh, Jersey City, not far from here, but a different world. But when you released us, we are down at Riverside Church in Jersey City, but yet we're doing the same thing. So whether it be here at Bethel or whether it be at Riverside, we're still doing the same thing. We're declaring hope bringing people to the knowledge of Jesus and that's what I hope today still does so what's today besides Sunday today's an important Sunday in the American calendar what's today thank you it's Super Bowl Sunday we don't care because our teams are not in you forgot you're like who cares it's that guy and that guy nobody cares he's gonna win again and they're gonna show more pictures of Taylor Swift which is so aggravating to the, all the girls that just got offended, every guy is more mad at that fact that Taylor Swift is making more pictures than her boyfriend. But whatever. <laughs> Ta- Super Bowl Sunday is a very famous Sunday, the American calendar. These teams from across the country, they start in preseason. When is preseason? Anybody know when preseason month is? When? August. And every August, what are they preparing for? To get to today. No team says, "Guys, we're going to be the best losers in the whole te- in the whole league. We are going to have the worst record." Every coach, they have one job: the job of the coach is to amp them up, to train them, to run the plays, to make them every day. Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Why? Because the name of the game is to win the Super Bowl. The name of the game is to get to that last game in February where they get to hoist up a trophy and say we were the best team in the whole league. Nobody ever starts their season and says we can't wait to be the worst team in the league. We're going to be the best losers. Our offense is most of it's going to be on the injured reserve. Our defense might as well not show up. Nobody does it, but every year it happens. Every year it happens where someone starts off strong. They hear good words. You ever hear some of those coaches' speeches? Man, it'll make you want to run a mile. It'll make you want to start working out and lifting weights. Because those coaches, they're all about, they, they ramp them up and they drive them and they say, go, go, go. And before you know it, these teams, they're ready to go. But then at the end of it, guess what? There's only one left holding the trophy. In the Bible, we have a story like that in the Old Testament. If you remember, the Bible is both descriptive and prescriptive. It tells you what to do, and it also tells you what other people did right and did wrong. In the Bible, we have the story of the nation of Israel. Now, if you've seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, you understand where I'm going. We know that the nation of Israel was in captivity in the nation of Egypt, and in The Prince of Egypt, uh, the movie depicts what happens now, I know Pastor Thomas. I know where he came from, his Bible background. I know where he trained. He trained with Poku, my wife and I, we all trained. So I know what he's preaching. He's preaching the Bible. And he's taught you, I'm sure, about the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it tells you the story of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, they were called to do great things. Abraham was whispered the promise, hey, listen, Abraham, your nation will be great and I will give you this land as the inheritance. But then what happened? We know the story. Joseph ends up in Egypt. While he's there, he does really well. His family grows. And all of a sudden, that that land in Egypt gives hope for the nation of Israel and then they just produce a lot of people. And before you know it, there's a lot in there. And the Bible says that there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph or cared about his God. And because of that, he says, we will treat them harshly. And because he treated them harshly, he began to enslave the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, who was called to be great, ended up becoming slaves. And while they're in the nation of Israel... The Bible makes it clear that while they were there, we see that even in Scripture, this is what it says. It says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 5, this is the, what the Word says. It says, All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all the generations, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Listen, the Bible says that they did big things in Egypt. There was a lot of Israelites. But when we get down a little later, we see this. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look. The people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let us multiply, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they should also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they sent taskmasters, remember that word, taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh a supply city of Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter and hard bondage in mortar and in brick. And in all the manners of service in the field. All their services in which they made them serve was with rigor. So everything the nation of Israel was doing was tough. They had taskmasters over them. Now these were people that were called, right? These were people who had a holy destiny. These were people God had told Abraham, listen, I'm giving you a good land, and this land is a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm calling you a blessed nation. But how many people know that they did not feel blessed at that moment? They had a title called being blessed. They knew that they had a calling to be blessed. But when you have taskmasters over you and you have people on your neck stepping on you saying you're not rising up, you don't feel blessed. And slavery has a lot less to do with the body than it does to do with the mind. Because if the enemy could break your mind, he's one. He is one. And so we know the nation of Israel of Israel would be in Egypt, and they would be broken and beaten. They would be used to do the hard tasks. They would be forced to make bricks, and they would have to do it the hard way. They would actually, Pharaoh would go out of his way to take out ingredients to make it harder for them to make the bricks. See, time and time again, the nation of Israel would suffer amongst The people of Egypt, they would suffer amongst the Egyptians because the taskmasters would beat them. The taskmasters would enslave them. The taskmasters would tell them, you're no good. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're always going to be here. But you know what happened, right? There was that guy named Moses. You've heard the story. Moses was raised in the Egyptian palace. As he was in the Egyptian palace, he would realize that he's a Hebrew. And then all of a sudden, we know the story, he would rise up and kill one of the Egyptian taskmasters. It would be found out and he would run off into the desert. And while he's in the desert, he was there for 40 years. Moses' life was split up into three 40-year periods. 40 years he was in Egypt, 40 years he was in the desert, and 40 years he was a leader of the nation of Israel. While in the middle 40-year gap, while he's in the desert, he thinks, I'm just... Going to be a shepherd, while his, the nation of Israel is suffering, he thinks I'm just going to be in the desert. And so, what happens? While he's in the desert, we know the story. Far off, he says he sees what looks like a burning bush, but this burning bush is not being consumed. And the Bible says as he starts to make his way over there, when he gets there, he hears the voice of God. What does he remember? This st- the statement: Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground you stand on is holy. And he declares to Moses that Moses would be the what? The one to take the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he would give him the phrase. And he would say, go to Pharaoh and say what? Let my people go. Now if you're the nation of Israel, this is it. This is it. We're finally getting out. We're finally getting out. We're finally getting out. And you know the story? You know that God used 10 plagues to wake up the Egyptians. I know a couple of Egyptians. They're hard-headed people. They needed plagues, okay? If you don't know, I'm Egyptian. That's why I could say that. Just so I know. I, I noticed there's a bunch of people that are like, can he say that? I could say that. Some people got real quiet, like. We have a bunch of Egyptians at Riverside, and I could equally mock them as I mock myself, and they laugh with me, and I laugh. But the nation of Egypt had to learn the hard way, and God would use 10 plagues. And just so you know how cool your God is, God, every plague that God would use would be a direct assault against one of the Egyptian gods. So he would turn the water to blood, the Nile. He would rain down frogs. He would rain down gnats. Have you ever had gnats? Have you ever... I'll never forget a Poco and I were in the south. Do you remember that? Poco and I were in the south, and we were in a field, and the gnats were on a different level. <laughs> there was gnats everywhere. We were in Dawson, Georgia. You couldn't find it on the map if you tried. We were in the middle of a field, and there was gnats, and I distinctly remember this plague going, I would have given up after that point. <laughs> so you have the gnats, you have flies, the livestocks were killed, there was boil on the skin there was hell thrown down, there was locusts, then there was darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn. If you're the nation of Israel and Moses has come and done miracle after miracle after miracle saying, I'm going to break you out of here because the God that we serve has a plan for us. The plan he has for us is a good plan. It's a plan that we're going to a land of milk and honey. It's a plan that's really, really good. God whispered from Abraham throughout the whole time up to Moses a reminder that God had a plan for the nation of Israel. God would give them a place to go forth and to walk out in faith and to be victorious because God was with them. But everywhere God gave a plan, the enemy of their soul would remind them of their slavery, of their past, or he would put them in Egypt and leave them there for hundreds of years to break their will. And all of a sudden, the people with the plan became the people Who were enslaved, but yet Moses would rise up and say, now is the time. And the rest of the story goes something like this. While they're on the way out, God opens the Red Sea. How many people right now, look, Jersey City, we're right on the Hudson. My backyard is New York City. When I pull up Uber to get food, Manhattan comes up first. It's very annoying, okay? (laughs) That's how close we are. Imagine God would open up the Hudson so I could walk straight through. That's essentially what God did to the Red Sea. God opened up the Red Sea so that the nation of Israel can walk on dry land. Don't forget the little details that the Bible says. The Bible says that the, that the nation of Israel walked on dry land. So when they walked through the Hudson, uh, not the Hudson, the Red Sea, <laughs> sorry. When they walked through the Red Sea, the Bible says they walked on dry land. There would be a song sung on the other side. Miriam would sing a song, and they would enjoy their freedom. Now, if you're the nation of Israel, you're out of slavery. You had ten plagues to show off your God. You had the Red Sea walk through. You're living in victory. You're walking the high life, right? Chest is up a little bit. You're smiling a bit. But you remember God had whispered to them that they would have to walk to their promised land. See, what happens is in every promise that God gives you, We forget that there is work to be given. The problem with the church today is we've taken the word miracle and we've made it a crutch. We want the word miracle without the work. And the nation of Israel would have a miracle, but there was also work to be done. There was also work. Listen, God's given you something. God's given you a promise. God's given you a destination. But just because he did the miracle doesn't mean he's going to do all the work. No. Every time there's a miracle in play in the Bible, he partners with someone to say, I'll partner with you. I'll hold your hand. But you got to get moving. And the nation of Israel had to get moving. And the nation of Israel was like, hey, listen, God, it was really cool, the ten plagues. That was great. The Red Sea, awesome. And Moses said, now we gotta get walking. They had the original GPS system. They had the cloud by day, fire by night. He took care of the details, right? The Bible also says that they had manna and quail. Every day given to them. So you would think what they they're they're living good, man. They're living good. They're in God's they're in God's favor. They see God's hand. God is moving over them. The only problem is is they gotta walk they got to walk. But would you believe that in the promises of God, even when you got to do work, some people still find it to complain. The Bible says it like this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. I need you to catch this verse. Remember all the miracles that God had done for the nation of Israel. It says this, Now the mixed multitude who are among them yielded to intense cravings. So that the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. What is... They ate fish how? What's the word? Freely? They weren't free. They were slaves. Hmm. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole experience is being dried up. There is nothing at, this at all except this manna before our eyes. God is making a way for them. But they're too busy crying about their past because the work is too hard. There's a lot of people in the church today that want the miracle without the work. There's a lot of people in the church that want to run to the altar but not do anything at home. And I know that's not very nice. But God partners with you. He doesn't do it for you. And the nation of Israel, this is what would happen. They would have the miracles. God would do the miracle of the ten plagues. God would do the miracle of the Red Seas. God would do the miracle of the manna and quail. And yet... They still found something to complain. Listen to what they said. The fish we ate freely, the cucumbers, the leeks, the melons. Oh, they were so good. But where were they? In captivity. They were in bondage. They had no hope. They had no future. And they had nothing. They were a nation that God had called for excellence. They were a nation that God had called to do great things. But here's the thing. The price to do great things requires great things. There's a lot of people, you want God to do something great in your life. God's saying, great, I'll partner with you. I'll walk with you. There's going to be time you take a step of faith and move. It's time that you take a step out of faith and move. And stop being comfortable. Can I tell you, there's this whole new um, health thing going on called biohacking. There's a whole bunch of people now just, there's a whole bunch of people cold plunging and eating vitamins and doing all these things. And the whole sum of this whole movement is this, is the resistance of being comfortable. In science, we know that if you desire comfort, you will die faster. You are created for adversity. That's why lifting weights is so good. Lifting weights for everybody, no matter your age, is good for you because it creates a stronger body because your body does better under adversity. You do better under adversity. When you seek comfort, you will shrivel up and die. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. When all you do is come to church and sit and listen to, through, I don't know what it's here, but our church, too fast, too slow, offering, we out, good, Go. And you don't desire God to shake you and move you and say, let's do something. See, here what happens is the nation of Israel, they wanted comfort more than God's promise. They wanted comfort. They wanted melons and they wanted fish. Listen to their nonsense that they said. I read this all the time and I'm like, God, if I would have just had one lightning bolt, I would have taken care of it all. I'd be like, just restart, control, alt, delete. Let's do it again. Noah 2.0. I got it. I'd understand. It says this, verse 5. We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. Where were they dried up? In Egypt or in the movement towards God's promises? Perspective is everything, isn't it? Perspective is everything. I'll tell you a story. Two years ago we went on a missions trip. And we uh, went to Abaco Island in the, and we went to go restore youth camp. And so a team of, from Riverside Church, we went to do construction. And almost every missions trip you go on, which by the way, I hope this church goes on a mission trip soon, you will you'll have an excursion day. And our excursion day was... Uh, on a boat and one of the gentlemen on the boat goes hey pastor the water looks really good we should jump in and swim and I'm like listen the ocean is a lot deeper and stronger than you think okay well while we're on the boat my hat flew off so the captain goes off now I was a decent swimmer I said I'm going to jump in and go and I jumped into the water to get the boat but the rule was once the uh, there was a person in the water the captain had to turn off the boat well, none of us noticed because we were in the boat that the current was so strong. So when I jumped in, two other gentlemen jumped in because they were like, oh, pastor's not going to have all the fun. Well, one of them was a good swimmer. One of them was not. And so what we ended up doing was as the boat started drifting, we started swimming really hard to keep up. I was, the gentleman in front of me was swimming, and I'm swimming. And as I'm swimming, I notice I don't hear splashing behind me. I'm like, he should be behind me. I turn around and the other gentleman is far off and there's panic set in his face. So now I was like, I'll miss the boat, but I got to go back and save him. I swam back, got to him, and I'm like, we're good, we're good. We got to get to the boat. And the gentleman turned around and finally, long story short, he came back to get us. And when he sat down, I'll never forget, he looked, he goes, perspective is everything. Because when I was in the boat, it didn't look that bad. But when I got in the water... Man, the current was strong and the boat moved fast without the engines. See, perspective is everything. And they're sitting here saying, oh, we had such good meals. But did you? So finally, the same group of people that would complain, they would end up finding their way to the promised land. Now remember, this whole ordeal that God gave them from the land of Egypt to the promised land, should not have taken more than 40 days. And he would take this nation of Israel from the land of Egypt through Sinai to the promised land to Canaan where God promised them. Now remind you, God whispered to them, this is your promise. Abraham reminded them, this is their promise. They've heard time and time and time again, this is your promise. So when they get to the land, Moses being smart says, now it's time to send out spies. In Numbers chapter 13, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which, someone read that with me. Is it up there? Thank you. Which I am giving. Who's giving? God. So the work is done. God tells them, go and spy out the land and show them the land I have already done. I've already done the work. I am giving them which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one leader among them. And so the nation of Israel, remember, they've gone from miracle to miracle to miracle. But the problem is, they got themselves out of slavery. They got themselves out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. Because brokenness and slavery is a mentality. It's not so much a place. And so the place they left, but the heart they didn't. And so God would tell Moses, go and tell the men, the spies, to go and spy the land that I am giving you. That's like me saying, Apoko, go to the car lot and pick the car I'm giving you. Do you miss anything in that statement? You're walking out with a car. And on my dollar, which will never happen. But just as an analogy, that's what I'm saying. But you understand whose dollar this is on. You understand who's doing the work. The only thing you have to do is go and pick which one. The red one, the blue one, the purple, whatever. And so pick, go see. And God will whisper to the nation of Israel, go to the land that I am giving them. Just go do the work. Go pick the routes. Because remember, this was still a military battle. Because if you remember time and time again, he would say, this is the land that's inherited by the Jebusites, the Perusites. We call them the Ites. All the ites, it's your land, but it's work to be done. So now the spies report, in verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation show showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruits. So this is a good report, kind of. They said, listen, everything you said is right. You said it was a land truly flowing with milk and honey, and the Bible says that they would bring back fruits so big that they would put it on a pole between two people. I mean, that's good produce. Everything God said is right. God did the work. God brought them out of the land of Egypt. God gave them 10 plagues. God opened the Red Sea. God would give them water, uh, cloud by day, fire by night, water from the rock, manna and quail. God did all the work. All they had to do was continue the journey with God. Verse 28, one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell on the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell on the mountains, of the, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the bank of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take the possessions, for we are well able to overcome. But the men... Who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Here's the problem. Whose strength were they looking at? Their own. But who's the one giving them their strength to go in? God. See, here's the thing. You could have the promise of God. You could have, the, you could have God leading and guiding you. But if you don't believe his word and you don't trust him in faith, it don't mean anything. 32, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Hold it. We were like grasshoppers in whose sight? Are you trying to tell me that God could do all the miracle? God can make a way for you. God could split the Red Sea. God could give you 10 plagues to guide you. God could give you the first GPS. God could give you water, uh, water from a rock. And God could do all these. But your mentality can be the very reason why you missed the promise. Yes, it can. There's a lot of people that want God to do the work as opposed to realizing that God has done the work. You just have to step into agreement with the work. You need to catch this last verse because it's probably the saddest verse in the whole Testament, I think. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in theirs. I look at this verse and I struggle because they had every promise by God. Moses was their mouthpiece from God, came from the mountains, spoke to them. They saw the mountain shaking, the cloud. They understood what it was. They saw the glory of God. They saw his miracle. They saw the ten plagues. They saw it all. But yet because they never checked their heart and who they're listening to, boy oh boy. And this generation would miss the promise of God. This generation, the rest of the story is that the ten spies convinced the nation of Israel, we can't do it. And the whole nation was like, yeah, we can't do it. And yet, they would end up missing out. And this whole generation, the Bible tells us, would die off in the desert. They were in a different type of slavery. They were in the slavery of their own minds. First, they were in the slavery of Egypt. But then they were in the slavery of their own minds. There's a lot of people in your life, you've heard these words, you're no good, you're a failure, you're not good, you're not smart, you're a loser, and you're all these things, and yet God is reminding you, we sang it today. The song selection today, amazing. It was the reminder of God's goodness. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness. See, God's done the work. The work has been done for you. But the problem is, have you aligned yourself with the work of God? Have you aligned your heart to believe what God has whispered over you? Some of you, you hear God's whisper and shout your failures louder than his whispers. They go, What do they say? We're like grasshoppers. We look like grasshoppers. We can't do this. Yeah, yeah, just because God opened... Uh, the Red Sea and he gave 10 plagues and he gave the cloud by day and the fire by night. That's nice and all, but we're too small. And what end up happening is this generation would miss out what God has. See, I believe there's a lot of people in the church today that do the same thing. They would see the miracles happening in other people's lives. They would see other things happening in the church, and they look off. But because they've never really checked their heart and identified as God, the one who's able to speak life into, can I tell you, the first sin that we see, the fall of Adam and Eve, right? You know the story. We know that Eve and Adam, they, sp- they ate the apple, or the apple because I'm an Android guy. Um, so, no, nobody? All right, we'll let that go. <laughs> So they ate the fruit, and while they ate the fruit, the Bible says, what did they do? They went off and hid. And when the Bible says that they, God was looking for them, he said, where are you? The whisper after that was, what did they say? We're naked and we're sinful. What was his response? See, See, what a lot of people think God's response should have been was, I see you and I'm going to get you. Or, you are a sinner. What God's response actually was, was, who told you that? Whose lie did you believe? Who convinced you out of the identity I already gave you? Who's the one, who actually got to you? Because I gave you an identity. You were mine. We walked in the garden. We talked in the garden. You and I, we knew each other's voice. But you were listening to some other voice. And because you were listening to some other's voice, instead of giving the answer that you should have given was, listen, I messed up, God, this and that. No, what you did was, you gave me the answer that you heard from somebody else. Who told you that? See, the nation of Israel, they would hear the whispers of their enemy. And as they got to the place of the promise, the whisper of their enemy would be in their ears loud and clear. You failures. You're a bunch of slaves. What are you thinking? You think you're going to go into the promised land? You think you're going to go into the land that's a good land? You're nothing but a bunch of jokes. You're grasshoppers. And you're going to get stepped on. And you know what? That generation never saw the fulfillment of promise of God because of their mentality, not because of the promise of God. There's a lot of people in the church today, it's your own mentality that you're damaged. Instead of standing on the word of God, you stand on the, on, the, on the problems in the world. See, that's why the Bible says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. We live in a time where we've listened to the world, the enemies. We have podcast after podcast after, we can listen to so many things. We have an event, we have a podcast, an app for everything. How about the children of God just get back to the word? Listen to what God is saying. Listen to what the, what the creator of your soul is telling you, because I believe everyone in this room, you're, you're designed for greatness. You're designed to be great. See, listen, the devil might have enslaved you, but he has a promise out of the enslavement. He has, he has hope and a purpose for you, but there's some people, the biggest enslavement is in your mind. It's not that God hasn't done enough for you. God's done it all for you, as we sung today. You know, the, the interesting story about that song, It Is Well With My Soul, it was written by someone by the name of Horatio Spatford. If you ever interesting background to that song, Horatio Spatford was a business owner in Chicago who had lost everything during the Chicago fires, and his son had died in the Chicago fires. Well, because of the catastrophe, he would send his wife and his daughters on a boat back to England, and while that boat was on its way back to England, that boat would sink. And he would lose his son and his whole family uh, in a matter of months. While he himself would end up going back to England and he would get on a boat. And the captain of the boat said, this is where the boat that held your family sunk. And he would pen the words, it is well with my soul at that spot. See, the reality of it is, is your, your circumstance doesn't define who you are. Your background doesn't define who you are. The God of heaven who makes all things new, he's the one that defines. And he's looking for people to partner to do great things. See, there's a reason why the church is not living up to its potential. It's because you have a bunch of people looking at themselves going, I'm too small. I'm too weak. I'm messed up. My family's jacked up. I come, I'm from meager means. I'm poor. I'm from this. I'm from that. And God's saying, no, 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 you're mine. And as mine, I've given you just as he gave to the promised land. He tells them, tell them to go to the land that I've already given them. But there's too many people that you've heard the lies of the enemy and you've looked at yourself for too long as grasshoppers. You've looked at yourself as failures. you looked at yourself as no good. You've said, I'm, I'm a mess up. I'm no good. You know, the world says this about me or the world says that about me. Or I've had a past. Can I tell you everyone's had a past? Can I tell you everyone's had uh, mistakes? For the grace of God. There is not one righteous, no, not one. Isn't that what scripture says? There's not one righteous, no, not one. But yet for the grace. What is grace? Unmerited, unwarranted. Un- you could not earn it. You don't deserve it, but yet He poured it out on you. And when He pours it out on you, man, He gives you a new purpose. You do realize that Moses was a murderer. You realize that, right? And yet he used him. You do realize that throughout the Bible, there is a bunch of stories of people who are we would consider unsavory or bad past or checkered past, and yet God said, I can use them if they surrender their heart. See, the nation of Israel, you would see, they would say those words, we are grasshoppers in our own eyes, so therefore we are grasshoppers in theirs. See, church, the reality of it is is there's a lot of people, when you look in the mirror, you see a grasshopper. You've heard the lies of the enemy whisper to you too long. And the reason why the miracle isn't coming, it's not because God hasn't done it, it's because you haven't partnered with him. And as the worship team makes their way up, I believe Bethel, assembly of God, is poised for great things. I believe that there's a revival coming to the state. I believe there's a revival coming to this church. But here's the thing. Church, you need to step out of your own way and step into your divine purpose. Some of you, you've looked at yourself as grasshopper too long. And you need to realize, I need to silence the lie of the devil. I need to silence the lie, those whispers that are spoken over them. Listen, I need you to realize, two spies convinced a whole nation. Two. Ten, sorry, ten. I realized ten. Ten spies convinced the whole nation. Two were trying to stand up and say, no, God can do it. Ten told the whole nation. We, listen, it doesn't matter that God did all this. He can't do any more because we're grasshoppers. And at the end of the day, how you see yourself through the lens of Scripture will matter. See, the Bible is not just for Pastor Thomas. The Bible is for you to live a life victorious, and I know what the Bible says. You're called to be more than conquerors. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The litany of verses are there, but who cares if you don't apply it to your own heart? See, there's a lot of you, you could tell someone else of God's goodness. You probably could tell someone, Jesus loves you, God has a plan for you, but how many of you could look in the mirror and go, oh, not you? Because you know yourself the best. See, we all live three lives. I think the former youth members remember me saying this a lot. We live our public life, our private life, and our secret life. And the problem is the only one that knows those three is God. But when we put it to the surrendering work of Christ and say, Lord, you could use me. Though I feel like a grasshopper, Lord, I'm a grasshopper surrendered to you. Lord, I give you my five loaves and two fishes and you do what you want. See, I believe with all my heart that there's a bunch of people in this church right now. You're looking at everything else. Why you can't do what God's called you to do, I'm here to tell you, go into the promise that God has given you. Bethel Assembly of God, you're poised for greatness. This church stands on a hill in the middle of a city that needs a bright light. It needs a revival. We need the saving of souls, the healing of marriages, the restoring of the prodigal. We need a church that's set on fire for the kingdom of God because the time draws near. We need God to move. But if the people in the church are too busy looking at themselves going, we're just grasshoppers, a generation will die off and another generation will have to pick up. But I believe that this is the generation that you will see the hand of God move. Can I ask you to stand to your feet?